0: Welcome to the Fat Emperor podcast, I'm your host Ivor Cummins. We're supported by the Irish Heart Disease Awareness Charity, which advocates a simple CT scan to reveal your CAC score. So know your score and take action to prevent that premature heart attack. Everything you need to know will be right here. We're here at Low Carb Universe in Mallorca and as you can see the beautiful backdrop behind us, but we're still working hard, don't worry about that. And I'm meeting with this morning with uh, Dr. Gary Fetka and Belinda Fetka, who have a very interesting story to tell. So delighted to meet again, Gary, Belinda. Hi.
1: Hi. Thank you for having us.
0: Oh, my pleasure. Absolutely. And you have a fascinating story. Well, kind of two stories. First your persecution and exoneration, and then we get on to the fascinating kind of background of where all the dietary guidelines came from and why ultimately you got into trouble. So, maybe, yeah, maybe Gary, if you start with that. Well, a lot of people already know my story. It's very similar to Tim Noakes. Uh,
2: Going back several years, I started challenging hospital food and particularly the amount of sugar that was given to my patients. And I I look, I'm an orthopaedic surgeon in Tasmania. Uh, For many years, I've been looking after the complications of diabetes and particularly foot ulceration. So, I've been chopping toes off, chopping legs off for, for a couple of decades and ultimately you get sick and tired of it. So I looked at prevention and quite clearly sugar became the number one problem. So I started questioning the amount of sugar my patients were getting in hospital and to this day if you've got diabetes in hospital it's still recommended that you get three desserts per day. I mean, so I said look this is crazy, this is ridiculous and I started questioning that. In the process of questioning the sugar in the hospital, uh, in the hospital food and junk food in the hospital, I co- started questioning the quality of hospital food, and we all know hospital food is lousy and can be improved. So that incurred the wrath of the dietitians in the hospital, and uh, over a period of time ultimately I ended up getting reported to the medical board for being dangerous for recommending anti sugar and low carb. Um, and the medical and then I subsequently got reported again by another dietitian for inappropriately claiming to reverse someone's diabetes, which I'm guilty of. Okay, we did reverse his diabetes. Only came off five medications, lost 20 kilos and all of that. So, And then there was a third notification to the medical board, which ultimately got dismissed. But the first two were taken very seriously. And over a couple of years, two and a half years, I was investigated. And a decision was made against me to say that I'm not allowed to advise my patients as an orthopaedic surgeon to reduce their sugar intake even even if it was shown to be best practice and that was a decision that was made lifelong and non-appealable uh, so obviously um, you know once you see the results of low-carb for your patients you can't unsee them and I, so I've, I've never stopped talking about it and, and and with the support of Belinda with her research and with the support of social media and the community we've kept on challenging that. And it's involved two Senate inquiries at a national level. It's involved the National Ombudsman. And after two more years of appealing my non-appealable decision, I mean, it's, it's crazy. We, we couldn't
1: we couldn't go to the Supreme Court. Like we couldn't use the judicial system to appeal it, but we could go to the National Health Ombudsman to see if there was a problem with the process. That was all she could rule on. She couldn't rule she couldn't say so, whether Gary could be. So we, we we
2: showed that there were problems in the process, which clearly there were, and Belinda will allude to those. And ultimately it was sent to an independent medical board. And they looked at it for six weeks, and they tossed it all out and said, this is ridiculous. So he's not, free. <laughs> not only did they say that I wasn't guilty of anything, they've actually apologised. Now, that's, a, that's a
1: almost, unheard un, of. <laughs> almost unheard of,
2: that you actually get an apology from the medical board. But uh, you know, ultimately, you know, we, we lost five years of you know, being dragged through the system. Yep. And in that time frame, my uh, lecturing to students was taken away. My research was curtailed. Uh, and we've been stuck in that limbo but in the same time frame we've also been you know going forward
0: and, and to the public yeah well it's an incredible job to have gone through all that both of you actually obviously it's you shared the experience so to speak it was also particularly malicious because i noted at the time which was incredible they said that even if the science advanced and you were proven to be correct you would still remain banned for life from yes. speaking. That's a bizarre. It, it was
2: completely bizarre, I, and obviously, I questioned that. And that's one of the things which the National Ombudsman was actually to hang on, because yeah. she said, even she said, "Hang on, this, this is a."
1: How can you make it for can a lifelong? You,
2: because so many things, and ch- you know, I, I say that science evolves by being challenged, not by being followed. And, and uh, you know, that's on the bottom of my, my emails. I mean, that's my my mantra. So. We have to keep evolving in our knowledge, and there are things we do today which are going to be shown to be wrong in the, in the future, yeah. as they have been in the past. And so um, it was a, it was a dumb ruling, and you know, and
0: thank goodness, common sense. It was a spiteful
1: sense. comment, I think. You know, it, it sounded spiteful, and it was their undoing
0: really yeah and it, it was amazing to me and, I, and I've seen a lot of corruption in this whole sphere obviously like yourselves but but that one struck me as bizarre and uh, the thought crossed my mind as well that's kind of implicating them uh, in a sense so it, it did turn out to be and how we got here then is the other part of the story so you're exonerated Um, It's a huge shot in the arm for people all over the world trying to promote healthier food like Noakes Exoneration, yours, Anna Mm -hmm. in Sweden. It's literally, mine was the last case to
2: be closed. And so therefore I know that it's pretty well opened the floodgates. I mean I've been contacted by hundreds of doctors who have said actually we feel safe now to go ahead with this. Talk about it. And so therefore it has opened the door and it now can become best practice in diabetes management it can become
1: he says it can become but you look on our dietary guidelines and you look at the dietitians association of australia which is our peak nutrition body and they're still calling low carb a fad so while the medical board has said yes i think you can go forward with this i can't see a problem the guidelines still are rule books that are not going to allow it to and move forward. And
0: and that is a great segue into how did we get here with such absurd guidelines that quite frankly conflict with the science at this point? There's no question. Well, uh, let's let's take a a snapshot of time now, Mm. which is if we look at, we've
2: got an obesity epidemic, we've got a, a health crisis on the planet right now. You can see that walking down the street. And so we've had in place Dietary guidelines for a long period of time, and one of the arguments is that we don't follow the dietary guidelines. Well, we know we do. If you look at the last 40 50 years of data out of the US, out of Australia, out of the UK, we have in fact increased our cereal and grains, we've decreased our meat, and particularly our red meat consumption. We've done that. So, the current dietary guidelines are cereal based, grain based, anti meat, anti dairy, and rapidly becoming vegan. So, let's That's the food pyramid, that's really what's being promoted at the moment and guess what, it hasn't worked. So therefore we've looked to say, and obviously low carb healthy fat living is not the food pyramid. So if we accept the fact that the dietary guidelines now have been a complete and utter failure and have since the McGovern report and the introduction of the American dietary goals, then we've gone back to see how come we've gotten to this situation. Because Belinda said, we're talking we, you know, we're all going blue in the face talking about this." And Belinda's gone, "Well, hang on, guys, why? Why are we being obstructed? Why have I been obstructed? It's got to be in those dietary guidelines. But more importantly, what's influencing them? And so that, that's that's the segue in. Whatever we're doing at the moment mm-hmm. isn't working. I'm challenging that. What Am I challenging the guidelines, or am I challenging the vested interests? And as it turned out, it's the vested interests that have been blocking myself and others in this whole process
1: and, and i think that i guessed that it could well be the sugar industry in australia we have a very large sugar and wheat industry so we sort of thought okay they're really unhappy about that so i thought it was vested interests and but when i started looking deeper it was really fascinating everyone sort of gotten stuck in this 1977 and the change to the low fat guidelines but i just kept going back and it was fascinating all the way back to um, what i what i've come to understand is it's the evolution of the so the evolution of our plant-based dietary guidelines have come from the two arms of the temperance movement which sounds really bizarre going all the way back to the 1800s and in prefacing this conversation i think it's really important to Um, say that I'm not anti-religion in any way Um, going down and finding some very strong religious influences on our dietary guidelines was just something I never expected to find Um, so I'm not anti-religion and I'm not anti-vegetarian or vegan even I think people have the right to a choice and whether that's cultural ethical or a religious ideology you know they have that ability to have that choice in our current society I would think and certainly from me but as I've gone through and looked at their influence the influence of vested interest and religious ideology on our dietary guidelines and particularly the evolution of the plant-based which is I believe a vegan um, dietary guidelines they've taken away my choice and they've taken away your choice and they've taken away society's choice to eat meat and it's bizarre you think I thought Gary was in trouble for talking about sugar and cereal, but it was actually he was in trouble for advocating animal protein and animal fats.
0: Right, and this story, and I am broadly familiar with it, though the viewers may not be. It goes back literally to the 1800s. If yes. you do proper detective work, which no one really has, it's well, except Belinda. Except uh, Belinda. Can oh. I just oh, yeah. say
1: though, um, Reese Southern, um, there's a young guy in in America. Um, Reith Southern has done a lot of research into specifically the um, Seventh-day Adventist church dietitians on the dietary guidelines. So from about the 1950s a lot of my research I got from him so I'm not the only person but he hadn't realized the medical influences. He was specifically looking at dietitians, but he it gave me an amazing segue into into going back but I then went back even further because I found that the introduction of the well, the formation of the American Dietetic Association was um, founded by a Seventh-day Adventist. So, you know, going even further back, but he'd certainly found a lot of information from the 1950s.
0: All right, great. So if we go to the the origins of the origin, the back in the, the 1800s, yes. yeah, yeah. Where it really began, uh, this influencing force that that I guess grew over the century and became more and more organised and more and more modern and, and subtle in its actions. It started in the late 1800s with a certain lady, I think.
1: Um, it actually started right at the beginning of the 1800s with a guy called Sylvester Graham, and you may have heard of Graham Crackers and Graham Flour and all those. They were all to stop people being stimulated by caffeine and alcohol and cigarettes and meat. And they believed there was a scientific and political and religious um, rationale for vegetarianism so he was the health reformers of the early 1800s were the start of this rationale western vegetarianism western vegetarianism is completely different to eastern vegetarianism that's gary will explain that
2: well eastern vegetarian is based upon a, a cultural respect for it where the animal sits within the whole food cycle and the, even in eastern vegetarianism they, they will eat some animal produce and then when the animal gets old they'll you know, for a lot of religions they'll actually eat the animal but it's done in a respectful way and so eastern vegetarian is built on centuries of care of, for the soil,
1: of, the environment yeah, like it's. and the
2: whole picture whereas western vegetarianism really only goes back to the early 1800s and it's purely and to based, stop people yeah, to, 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 to quell their, their, lust. their lust and it, it, that, it seems strange but that's what it is and then that's evolved into one group which was the founders of the Adventist church, Um, and then extrapolate. They
1: brought brought those principles of, so it wasn't just stimulants of, again, um, caffeine and alcohol and cigarettes, but they believed one of the biggest stimulants in our life was meat. And it actually became church doctrine to not eat meat, to stir baser passions, and the most heinous sin of all was masturbation. So this is where cereals came from. The cereal industry was birthed from this belief that they had to try and find ways for people to have um, uh, protein and different things in their body to, to get rid of meat.
0: Right, because meat was seen, and I think the, the, the origins of the word, I mean carna, meat, carnal, there's a lot of negative co- connotations in history and I guess they really jumped on that and saw it as a really big negative influence on the society, like alcohol or, or things, that the it would drive... The main thing was
1: they thought it was masturbation, though. Her oh, very right. first, Her entire book, her first book, was all it was a solemn appeal to mothers and how to stop your child masturbating. Oh, and the well. biggest mm-hmm. thing was not to put meat on their table. Um, and in, I segued it sort of differently in my talk so I really came back and and talked about the temperance movement and and worked out ways because John Harvey Kellogg is obviously someone we recognize as a person involved with the cereal industry and he and his brother developed the flaked cereal but it was so then I said well you know why why was he so intent on developing peanut butters and nut analogs and all of these other things he was a temperance health reformer and he was a devout Seventh day Adventist. So you bring those things down and you think, well, the, we've got Kellogg's cornflakes from an anti masturbation crusade.
2: But poor old John Harvey Kellogg, yeah. I mean, he was a brilliant individual. You know, he achieved greatness in the medical pathway, medical education, medical and he had, reform. And he had but, 30 but
1: patents on food and exercise equipment. But,
2: but as a 12 year old, he was invited into the White family and he was typesetting. The, these doctrines. He was typesetting as a 12-year-old that meat causes masturbation,
1: and and the the effect of masturbation was as bad as inwardly decaying a head, and also like her her book was horrific if you read all the things that masturbation could do to you. And he was 12 years old when he was typesetting these books. Wow! And typeset so, uh, for the next, you know, he typeset for four years for them and wrote all. He was actually editing and doing things. So. There's no wonder by the time he grew up to become a doctor, he had very um, strong ideas on how bad masturbation was.
2: Following on from that, we, we, we should um, state that the where things are now is that the Adventist Church is the second biggest educator in the world, after the Catholic Church, at our primary schools, secondary schools, universities. But they pretty well started the dietetics education of the world, they wrote the textbooks for the first 30 years and heavily involved in the textbooks of nursing and medicine they still own 60 publishing houses and they're pretty well and as I I said to you recently
0: they've had 6.4
2: billion downloads of their podcasts in 2016
0: (coughs) now I was I was struck by that figure because I mean that it puts Joe Rogan to shame but 6.4 billion downloads just gives an idea of of the influence that's occurring and I think the financials of this uh, this whole organisation that influencing in so many ways, their financials are quite stunning too across mm-hmm. the world, aren't they?
2: Well, uh, t- like again, w- they own pretty well. Uh, so involved in the food industry, horizontally and vertically. Uh, acknowledging that, only about eight weeks ago, uh, the senior members of the Adventist Church published an article in a journal called Religion, acknowledging virtually everything we're talking about now. So this is not, they're not hiding it, they're actually not upset by it, they're actually proud of what they've been able to achieve. And so they are are the originators of nutrition science. They have been heavily involved in our nutritional guidelines since the beginning, because the American Dietetics Association was formed in October 1917 by Lena Cooper, who wrote these textbooks. She worked with John Har- for John Harvey Kellogg. She was an Adventist and a vegetarian. And a vegetarian at that time actually turns out you were a vegan. The term vegan didn't turn up till...
1: It wasn't coined till 1944. So oh. the Adventist Church doctrine was based on the Garden of Eden, the Young Earth Creationists, and so the Garden of Eden was um, fruits nuts vegetables and seeds and they so that was all so there's no history in hunter together there's no place in their history of there's no evolution but there's no place in history for meat so they truly believe this is what we should be eating and
0: hey guys just a quick break to remind you that this podcast is only possible due to funding from the irish heart disease awareness charity and its founder david bobbitt David discovered he had massive heart disease in 2012 and could only do so by getting a five minute calcification scan and CAC score. It enabled him to take action to stop the disease process and to save his own life. Now he is spending millions to help others do likewise. All we ask is to help get the message out on the power of CAC, watch the Widowmaker movie linked at the end of this podcast and share it as widely as you can. Thank you, and now we return to the conversation so the eating of meat is almost it's an aberration it's humans going a bit crazy yes and driving further craziness and self-abuse mm. yes. yeah it's, it's and i think just in terms of veg i didn't know any of this story uh, obviously before you you dug it all up and the other guy whoever but i was aware that in the mcgovern commission there was a very influential young person who was vegetarian mm-hmm. um i was aware of that fact and i suspected that because vegetarian or particularly vegan people are extremely motivated ideologically, whereas the average person is not, I was always guessing they were disproportionately represented in guidelines, bodies, and anywhere where they could influence, mm-hmm. which is okay, I, I'd do that if I was ideologically yeah. motivated. But I think it's just so much more huge than we thought. They've been working their way up through the
2: system for 100 years.
1: And can I say when they, a lot of their ideas are amazing. Like it really is, it's about rest and exercise and a whole lot of sunlight and and sleep and community and the anti-alcohol cigarettes and stimulants. But what's really fascinating is how they've moved together. So as I say, the the two forms of the temperance movement, one was the health reformer ones, which is the anti-meat group. But they've joined with the other temperance movement, which is anti-alcohol, and has spawned the sugar industry. So not, it didn't start sugar, but it formed these industries of Coca-Cola, and um, ice cream sundaes, and chocolate, and all those other things. So this sweet, and also then putting the sweet into the cereals, it allowed them to find a way to celebrate as families, and be communities, and whatever else, not having alcohol. So these soda fountains were called the New American Bar. You know, it was an ally of temperance. So the food industry that was creating the sugar and the, f- and the food industry from the Seventh-day Adventists that were all aligned with um, vegetarian substitutes of meat just match so beautifully together because the sugar gives shelf life to the vegetarian products. It doesn't help meat. So you know, this is where it's all interconnected. And Harvard University, was the start of um, the Nutrition Foundation and the School of Public Health were all started by food industry. So five food industries gave money to this Nutrition Foundation, which was part of the Harvard School of Public Health. And they worked with the Adventist Church to do the very first Adventist studies, because it suits both. They grow together. And even though they've got very opposing ideas about things, the interconnection and it and has just helped
0: and this has happened in all of human history to be honest it it seems bizarre what what you describe but to me to me it actually makes it makes complete sense because (laughs) in human history we've always had different sects and organizations who have common goals you know who get together even though they might differ significantly on one or two things so it kind of all just came together throughout the 20th century, that they grew and grew in power and influence until they were kind of embedded in all of the structures. Uh, yeah, so... And so, the, the financially, uh, to come back to that, the,
2: the, the, the cereal industry, 101 cereal companies were formed in Battle Creek, Michigan, which is the home of the Adventist Church. And over time, we've effectively got Kellogg's and all of their affiliates. But because they're largely owned by, originally by the Adventists, and they have Adventists work for them, they're tithes. You can imagine 10% of the profits of the cereal industry is going back into the church. In Australia, um, Ellen G. White came to Australia and started a company called Sanitarium, which is Australia's most trusted company.
1: She set up the entire church, but she also wanted to set up the cereal industry as a church owned. So that was different. Kellogg's was a Seventh-day Adventist, and he started his own business, but they actually came to Australia and set the food industry with, up With one as of a the church. Kellogg's brothers.
2: Yeah. And, and that church owns the biggest cereal company in Australia, and they don't pay any tax. But they put it all back into educating the community.
0: So that's where the enormous resources come from to create the billions of podcasts and everything else, because the profits are not being taken by corporate executive types and shareholders.
1: They're going they're back to the church.
0: But they have this purpose.
2: They, they, they believe clearly in what they're doing. Oh, okay. And so it's all, it's all ploughed straight back into medical evangelism.
0: With, with charity status, so no tax, really, No up-note. tax.
1: There's no tax on Sanitarium. They make 462 different products, and they don't pay any tax.
0: But Sanitarium, being the biggest cereal company in Australia, I mean, that, I guess I'm just coming back. They're very large amounts of revenue.
2: Mm. Yes, Indeed.
0: Yes. Wow. But then, they brought
2: um, the Adventist Church uh, by by Harry Miller brought uh, soy from Asia, fermented soy, to the concept of soy to the Western world. So the modern soy product, and which he is
1: saw that as an alternative to a meat to
2: substitute. Meat. So we've got fake meat, fake dairy. We've got infant formulas, which are made predominantly from soy. Harry Miller and developed
1: the first infant soy formula.
2: So if you think about the the massive impact of soy in the food cycle and going all the way back to affecting our agricultural practice now, you know, the ploughing of soil to put in more soybean, that is actually all from the one group. So that whole soy industry is paying tithe back into the one church group and that's where their funding is. And all of this stuff is actually in their annual reports, I mean, it's not, it's not hidden.
1: It so you, the entire soy industry. But not,
2: <coughs> well, but a, a significant, significant portions season. of it. And so you can actually read their annual reports. It's got all the figures and it talks about the industries they actually own.
0: Well, and I think that's, that is a very important point, because along with the disclaimer, uh, and I'll also echo that one, that vegetarian is fine. I have many vegetarian friends. In fact, in our Irish, uh medical group we're setting up um we have a vegan uh psychiatrist a doctor in our group so it's fine but not to try and influence the whole world in the way we're discussing um yes but the other it's
1: it's taking away a choice that's that's the thing they're taking away a choice by developing these rule books that silence my husband
0: that exactly and that obviously have I'll use the word corrupted, but it is corrupted soy refined grains and infinite formulas and all the fake food That's having an enormous negative effect on the world's health Even though they had good intentions So this is not like a conspiracy where it's it's really unknown Like Twin Towers or anything like that where it's really unknown what happened. All of this is on the record So we we put links to it. It's all historical Mm. just reality. Yes. Yes
1: And where it's going now is the concern so, so <laughs> th-
0: those two
2: arms have come together and uh, so when you hear the term exercise is medicine which is a brand owned by coca-cola and has come down that whole pathway so whenever you hear the term exercise is medicine that's effectively the food industries
1: it was started by um, Coca-Cola vice president in 1978 the International Life Science Institute. So they have got over 400 companies that are food and pharmaceutical industries, plus whatever else, Kellogg's and Coca-Cola, uh, nicely planted in there. And so this exercises medicine is being led by, it's driven by Coca-Cola with the entire ILSI in the in the background. So you can imagine Coca-Cola's coming this way.
2: And on the other side of it, the new term is called lifestyle medicine. So whenever you hear the term lifestyle medicine, that's pretty well been set up, started by the Adventist Church. Virtually everyone at the senior level over the last several years has actually been from the Adventist Church.
1: Senior level in America, in Asia, in Australia and the global movement. In in the um, Europe, I don't believe it's as heavily influenced. So they're just seeing the movement as an amazing thing and joining in. But it's promoting because um, it But vegan. it
2: sounds great. Lifestyle medicine is about eating well, sleeping well, moving, exercising, <laughs> uh, and, and community and bringing that together. Yeah. But it is actually, when you listen and carefully dissect their message, it's about veganism. And it is in fact, when you go back to Australia, it was it's actually owned. The
1: Institute of Lifestyle Medicine is owned by Sanitarium.
2: Sanitarium. <laughs>
1: oh. So, to so come in so yet another
0: circle we
2: come back. Yeah, so they
1: put these things into this processed food industry. Has, you know, but where it's things. at now
2: is we've got exercises medicine and lifestyle medicine that are coming together and actually developing the medical curriculum for our
1: students. I would say for the world. And That's as a result
2: plan. of that, we're seeing it's already been introduced in a few universities in the United States. Uh, and uh, Loma Linda, which Loma Linda, is, which is, the is the
1: Seventh Day Adventist University, Harvard University, and South Carolina Greenville, which Stephen Blair's involved with, and he's been funded by Coca-Cola in the past with the Global Energy Balance Network group that's now defunct. So, yeah. and
0: these are seed universities, ideally expanding to to infiltrate, if you will, uh, all of medical education. Yes. And. But they already are. They already, and we've got
2: lots of examples of where they're spreading out into the South Pacific, into China, into my own Tasmanian University medical curriculum, which was part of what I I was. I didn't realise I I trod on a landmine in twenty fourteen when that was actually being introduced as a test, the test run on the medical students, and I came through and said, actually, that's all nonsense. This is actually, you know inflammation is caused by sugar, carbs and polyunsaturated oils.
1: And to shut him down even more, then they brought Exercise is Medicine as the trademark into our university, and they're promoting that, obviously, so everything is, you know, diabetes is cured by Exercise is Medicine, and I'm just going, oh my gosh, so so finding out all this has been incredible.
0: It, it is absolutely incredible, and the the thing is, the union of corporate power and state power is, is actually the definition of fascism. Just to, uh, I found that out recently, I, I'd never viewed it that way, but that's the definition of fascism. Uh, here, interestingly, I'm not saying it's fascism, but it, we have the allying of corporate power and ideological kind of religious interests um, together which becomes extremely powerful because the huge revenues coming in can be redirected towards changing the message changing the whole the whole perception of everyone Mm. so I'm guessing now that people should really be aware of this and begin to counter it and counter the fake food culture that's being generated I think Mm -hmm. the first we we know that there's a health issue on the
2: planet you know obesity diabetes out of control and we have an answer which is healthy eating eat fresh local seasonal food which actually turns out by definition to be low carb healthy fat so we have an answer we have an antidote so why isn't it being promoted why isn't it becoming first line management well now we know we've always suspected it's food industry of being involved but actually we now know the mechanism of how that's evolved and that the you know the food guidelines are one but the industry is another and they both have actually supported each other not for 10 or 20 or 30 or 40 years but for 100 years and then built on this history that goes back for previous 50, 60, 80 years to the early 1800s so our whole and I call that generational education you believe what your teachers have taught you and your teachers before them so as a result this has just become the norm
1: and, and I can just tell you never upset a woman and pick on her husband. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely,
0: because look what's happened. (laughs) All of this has become revealed.
1: Yeah, if they'd never gone after Gary, and just if the medical board had just gone, this is a bit silly, let's have a conversation. You know, we want you to get off social media or whatever else, I would never have looked. But they were so dogmatic, and I just went, you know what, they're not taking my husband down, and I'm gonna find out why
0: excellent Sorry. belinda and you know but that's often the way of dogmatists especially ideologically driven ones uh, they will tend to react very strongly when they're in any way threatened but like you say lucky they did and with noakes as well lucky they did that absurd yes. you know accusation and now it has blown back on them and the, you know so that's what
1: russ green found out he found this exercise as medicine like that's influenced tim noakes the international life science institute is that powerful one that seems to have affected tim noakes but now we've brought in the fact that it's not just that it's this as well and tim was just like oh my gosh now i understand why the vegan movement was so anti what i'm talking about and yeah i think so
0: we have layers here of marriages made in hell (laughs) <laughs> Essentially, over hundreds of years, creating a dysfunctional family <laughs> and a disease epidemic. But there is one thing, though. The ILSI, I might just call out. I had a run-in with people involved with the ILSI, and I wasn't aware of them. I, I was involved in a debate, and I found out afterwards about the ILSI. But from Belinda. Uh, from I, I, Belinda. I let you know because i it all. <laughs> you're right. We messaged at the time. Yes. You tipped me off, because and I was, I was looking. amazed when I looked up ILSI. It was a think tank, which is always suspect, started in America, right, around Washington or something. In
1: 1978.
0: 78. You see a the think tank starting, you know that's corporate revenue kind of stuff going on. It's just the way it is. But when you look, and all their directors on the industry side cover every, Coca-Cola, Nestle, Danone, I mean, it's just a Kellogg's. who's who, Kellogg's, <laughs> all the cereal guys. And then you look at the other side, directors from like, Education and medicine and all these professors, every yeah. country, allied, and I just looked and I said, "Whoa, that's exactly what I'd do if I had an interest yeah. to make what you're describing happen." Of yeah. course you would. Key opinion leaders, bring them in, mm-hmm. get them on board, and talk about research and advancing health.
1: And ex- and it's always eat more, eat less. If you have a look at all of yeah. their programs, like and carbohydrates are. are the gospel truth, you know. It's, it's
0: oh, eat less, move more. It's the classic Seco yeah. calories in, calories out deception that Coca Cola and all the food companies love. Of
2: but if you, but if you listen to them now, it's exercise more, eat less
1: meat. meat. That's what we've worked out. You know, ilzi no. and the religion, this is what it, they're after. Eat, uh, sorry, move more and eat less meat
0: now just to be clear that that is the certainly the intent that's not technically a phrase yet
1: no no no. but if you no, but you'll that's, hear it, <laughs> that's, it so watch out for
0: that
2: you look for it so i mean yeah. they're talking it, about meat tax ILSI now True. ILSI um, are, are, are taking dietetic education into china they're writing the textbooks for dietitians or dietetics for china at the moment and medicine, and medicine. so the, the things to listen out for now that you know
1: They might not specifically say it, let's call it plant-based. But you know...
0: Euphemisms are everywhere, yeah.
2: (laughs) When you hear the terms plant-based diet, when you hear the term vegan, when you hear the term exercise as medicine, when you hear the term lifestyle medicine, illsy, just recognize that they have a history behind them, which is actually based on ideology, which is now intertwined with corporate vested interests. And it's not there for our health. Well, it might. It, it's advertised as such, sorry. and they believe in it. And I was going to say, we don't always agree. Okay, yeah. There's a bit of marriage counselling. Either cool. intervene, quick.
1: <laughs> um, but they believe it's for health. So, in fairness, they but health and salvation, and that's the difference.
0: It's the heady mixture that's always the problem. And and in fairness. Um, the disclaimer is very important, not against religion, not against these diets, yes. however, the, problem, the problems with religion historically for thousands of years, uh, often have been great ideas with good intentions, but certain dogmas then are what have caused the issue over, over centuries mm. and, and millennia, and here we're seeing, you know, a lot of what they're doing is for the right reason, it's yes. good stuff. And unfortunately, it's just carrying with us a Trojan horse of something that's completely irrational and anti-scientific, yes. and that's being carried through, mm.
1: and, and unfortunately. Just, I, I think that's perfect. That's a brilliant
0: they, they, got, it, they
2: just got up, off to the wrong start. So, you know, occasionally you might drive up the highway on the wrong side, and sooner or later you'll work out that, hang on, <laughs> we've gotten,
0: we're in trouble. Unless you get the whole world to switch the sides yeah. which you drive on. <laughs> which it looks like what they're trying to do. Trying to do. Because I realise we're in
2: trouble. But I actually yeah. think you know there's yeah. this head-on collision yes. about to happen. And uh, if you are, if we understand history, I mean, I, I looked at her aghast. I went, what no. conspiracy theorist?
0: <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and then
2: before then
1: not conspiracy, it's
0: history. Oh, I know, I know, but I when was, you first, yeah, when maybe Gary first heard the stuff, he said, hold on a minute, are you oh, sure?
1: No. He'd come home from work and I'd go, you won't believe what I found out today. <laughs> He's just going. Yeah, I,
2: I, I spoke out about this at uh, the CrossFit Games last year, the health conference, in, and I said to Belinda, I need to now recheck all this before I'm going to say it out loud.
1: He'd been listening to me and just believing me.
2: and And so I got all the references, so all that talk was completely referenced. But before that, we actually popped in and saw, I rang up Zoe Harkum and said, Zoe, I'm going to drag her in, I said, Zoe, can we come and have a chat to you? So we travelled from Australia to Wales, uh, Zoe and Andy and uh, Marika Sorbis came up from Cape Town and we sat there in her ha- their house for five days and said, are we crazy? Can we just check it all with you? Yeah, and so we had five laptops going, all cross-referencing, and they actually went, yeah, you're actually right. You, we're not making it up. And, and then that talk was given. It's been acknowledged repeatedly since then by members of the Adventist Church. We've got a lot of ex-Adventists who have come along and said, you're absolutely right. Mm.
1: They'd probably be my biggest supporters now, like some of the people who had contacted me the most and, and talked to me and just go, it just makes sense, I hadn't realized. And and then,
2: and then in most recent times, this acknowledgement by the Adventist Church that what we're talking about is actually completely relevant. So. As we all move forward, it's just important to know if someone comes to your table what hat they're wearing. Yeah.
1: Yeah. and I, and I think in going forward, ideology also needs to be discussed as a conflict of interest in nutrition science, because it, it's it's having a huge influence.
0: I, I actually love that point, Belinda. There's so many important points here, it's dizzying, but that one is huge in itself because an ideological driver for for a human being, is much more powerful than simply some extra money through classic conflict of interest. Mm -hmm. The COIs we see influencing medicine, and there are studies on this, can sometimes only amount to a few thousand dollars a year Mm -hmm. and gifts to doctors. Um, Mm -hmm. Sure, but ideology is a much more powerful driver of a human Mm -hmm. than any the heart. It comes from the heart and it's it's part of your your essential intent, we used to call it Mm -hmm. in management. Uh, But that's a huge point, conflict of interest should include if you have religious and ideological beliefs mm. that, that that clearly would affect your, your your bias towards certain.
1: But this is where it is, you know, there's yeah. a huge conflict of interest and it just needs to be acknowledged and, uh, and uh, in going forward if we're creating, I mean, do we need guidelines at all? But for sick people, if we're going forward and creating guidelines, it need, you know, we may need those people who've got I- incredible experience in a vegan diet, To be helping write that part of the dietary guidelines but acknowledging their their beliefs and then people who want to talk about low carb we need to get those people in not the people who have got the vegan interest doing the low carb you know it's it's about creating fairness i think
0: and transparency above all transparency above all where everyone is has laid it out on the table where they're coming from very good well (laughs) i think that's going to begin happening in the coming years the rate at which all of this gets resolved is is the debate, I think. Uh, I know talking to Andrea Seinfeld about this a few times over the years, will it take around 10 years to largely get more clarity, transparency, and, and good science? Or will it be faster with the growing low carb keto movement is quite rapid growth? Mm. We might close on that. What do you think yeah. to reach a point where Largely, things are more transparent and the general public have more of a grasp of the science. I'd like to
2: think it's going to happen tomorrow, but it's going to take a lot longer. I think there are so many forces out there that we can't change the world. We'd like to. But we can, as individuals, make a decision about what we do this afternoon and tomorrow. We can do that for our families. And that all of the work we're doing is to support those people who want to make a difference. And so, yes, we'd, it, you know, it'd be nice to save the world, but we're going to need to start with saving ourselves first of all. Um, and a, a lot of the resources for this and the material is put together, just to, to let you know, it's on the eyesupportgary dot com site so that we're making it all public, it's all there. I
1: created a website, a really annoyed APRA, no doubt. I created a website saying I support Gary and I've just started putting all these things up and it's been really interesting. Like Journalists have contacted me. The US Right to Know has recently contacted me. They want to know about the serial um, documents that I've uncovered. So it's quite fascinating creating a website that just supports your husband. Is something they never expected.
0: It was superb, yeah, and that's the beauty of the modern, you know, internet environment where, where people can fight back with information against misinformation. Mm. So so that's a fantastic platform, and I guess when I release this, I'll put the links also. And I also think if we did, we mentioned this before, a, a, a nice kind of um, a family tree going back to the 1800s, mm. just with the key players and interconnections, maybe that's, that's something that would be good to put I would to. like
1: to work with you on that.
0: <laughs> Excellent. We'll do that. For transparency. Yes. <laughs> you know? Not, not for going after anyone for transparency and just honesty. For it there. great. Thanks. Hey, thanks a lot, Belinda. Fantastic it. job. Great job you guys have done. Thanks, man. Thanks. Thanks. <laughs> thanks for tuning in, guys. If you're watching on YouTube, you can see my subscribe button in the middle of the screen, a free viewing of the Widowmaker movie on the far right, and myself and Dr. Gerber's book, Eat Rich Live Long, on the left. Otherwise, please do subscribe to the audio podcast. Thanks.